0: the American Tobacco Historic District in downtown Durham. It is Due South on WUNC. I'm Jeff Tiberi. A happy Valentine's Day to you and yours. Today on our show, love in some of its different elements, including a conversation about sex romp gone wrong. It's a collection of short stories by author Julia Ridley-Smith. Then later in the hour, Musical mother and son, Nina and Pierce Freelon, joined me and Leonita for the next edition of our Southern mixtape. And yeah, it's Valentine's Day. So we're talking love songs.
1: When I was in seventh grade, it was Casey and JoJo who All my life. who came from Charlotte, <laughs> North Carolina. Come on, man. That was my jam. Mm, and I've uh, thought that song a
2: long time.
1: Yeah. And I had so a little good, sweetheart man. associated with that song. And to this day, When I hear
0: that song, I think of her. Yeah. Tunes to put you in a place coming up in a bit. But first, a question to you listeners. Do you live with a partner? If so, how did you decide to embark on that step of your journey together? Was it motivated by love or money? Maybe marriage, perhaps some combination thereof. Was it a deliberate and well-thought-out decision? Or did the decision to cohabitate skew impulsive
2: Pandemic-induced, maybe. And has it worked out or not so much? For many couples, especially younger ones, the decision to move in together is less lust and more financial. The percentage of young couples living with romantic partners who they are not married to is up. And a Realtor.com survey from last year shows that 80% of Gen Z couples say money was a main factor in the decision to move in together. Just what are the financial trends and concerns behind these decisions? Here with us is Feneba Addo, Associate Professor of Public Policy at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Professor Addo, welcome to Do South. Thank you for having me. Glad you're here. If you're willing to share with us, when you moved in with your now husband,
3: were you married at the time, and how old were you? We were actually engaged okay. and already planning our wedding. And we were slightly older uh, in our mid-30s, which is not like the young adults that we're going to be talking about today, but actually on trend for our demographic, I would say, Mm -hmm. um, who have advanced degrees.
2: Okay. And you are a millennial. I'm a geriatric millennial. Do you follow? I am insert? also a millennial. <laughs> All right, uh, we, I, I won't push it beyond there, and I'll just share briefly. I moved in with my now wife when I was 28 years old. We were not married. We were not engaged. We were about a year and a half from even being engaged. So uh, we're talking about cohabitation and the trend line, which is swinging upward today. There's a housing shortage. The dollar doesn't go as far, and marriage rates have declined to an extent over the last 50 years. And the patterns of marriage have certainly changed. Are these the leading factors contributing to what's going on here?
3: Yeah. I mean, so when we look at what's been going on in the economy as far as rising housing costs and a lot of the work that I have focused on about the rise in student debt with more and more young adults pursuing higher education, this has really impacted their financial balance sheets. And if you are interested in kind of pursuing a romantic relationship with someone, Talking about finances and money is front and center of right. that conversation.
2: Other main factors that contribute to this? The ones I mentioned, student debt, which you mentioned, of course, a huge one. Yeah. What else, if anything, is kind of in the space here? I
3: think housing costs. I think um, when we think about that really early to young adult period, trying to establish a career, kind of stagnant wages or trying to find a career or job that's going to allow you to afford housing is mm-hmm. is key <laughs> and it's hard. so. Those are some of the factors that we think about there, just not having enough to kind of uh, support yourself. And right. if, especially if you're thinking about having a family. Yeah.
2: What are some of the benefits to cohabitating?
3: So, the first thing we think about is economies of scale, right? Yeah. So, uh, two incomes tend to be a little bit better than one foremost. <laughs> yeah. So uh, having say, yeah. to only pay one rent, you know, save on utilities, you know, sharing groceries, even, you know, at a very basic level, you know, that extra income can go further than just kind of surviving on one. I think that's what a lot of people think about when they're making those those decisions. Like, why am I paying my rent, but spending all of my time over at your place? <laughs> so why don't we kind of make a smart decision mm-hmm. and kind of combine those, uh, those bills that we can? Right.
2: And there are ancillary benefits, too. I mean, you talk about groceries, and it's also, you don't need two Netflix accounts anymore. You can have two profiles on one account, and now you can get the Prime or the Disney Plus or whatever it may be, but you can uh, stretch the dollar in different ways. That's right. That's
3: right. You know, how can we What. What and how can we combine to reduce our expenses?
2: So if cohabitation is highest among Generation Z, reminder, those born in the mid-1990s through the early 2010s, I'm curious if you can speak to how it compares to millennial cohabitation. Millennials, reminder, uh, are folks born in or around 1982 through the mid-1990s.
3: I guess I'll highlight two things. One is that, you know, they're still young, right? So this is when we would expect, you know, high rates of cohabitation to be happening. I think what we also see combined here is changes in marriage, right? And when people enter into marriage. Mm -hmm. So that's the age at first marriage is continuing to increase and be later. So they're not thinking about marriage at this point. And so we see... Uh, cohabitation being a viable and less stigmatized option.
2: I don't know if this question is going to be repetitive, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Are people moving in together at younger ages, or is the age about the same as it has been historically? And it's just, as you point out, that fewer of these couples are married at that age.
3: I think it's the latter. Yes, it totally makes sense. Uh, So we tend to think, like, early adulthood being between 18 to 24, and then, like, young adulthood, 25 to 34. And so during those two periods of, of early and young adulthood, we see increases in both of those kind of age buckets.
2: Okay. You've written about racial economic inequality with a focus on higher education and family and relationships. So if you can, like, let's take this big cohabitation thing and let's break it down a little bit along socioeconomic and ethnic diversity. What more can you tell us on kind of the second level of who is or isn't and just Pull the curtain back.
3: Yeah. So I think one of the most fascinating findings in this work is that Black or African American women are less likely to cohabitate or be in cohabitating relationships, Mm -hmm. but at any given time or more likely to be in cohabitating relationships. So we see, you know, they're more likely to be single. um, But if you do kind of like a cross-sectional snapshot, um, the types of relationships that they are in are cohabiting relationships
2: what about socioeconomic status or education attainment what are the kind of the lines of demarcation the the notable differences here
3: yeah the the reasons why couples or or how they express why they moved into their relationships do differ by social class status so low income or couples with less advantage are more likely to cite economic reasons for why they decided to move in together, whereas higher income or couples with advanced degrees are more likely to say they chose cohabitation as a pathway to marriage.
2: Venaba Addo, Associate Professor of Public Policy at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, is here with us on Due South. We're discussing cohabitation and uh, also some of the financial strains that may be impacting younger adults and why it is they're coming together to live under one roof with one oven and one main door. You get the idea of cohabitation. You've done some research, uh, Professor, on the ways that young adult cohabitors are financially combining their lives, credit histories, bank accounts. Tell us about your findings, please.
3: So one of the, I think, key findings here is that the types of ways that people combine their finances matter for the success of the relationship. So when we see people who combine what I kind of call investment types of accounts, so homeownership, Mm -hmm. uh, savings accounts, that is associated with successful or staying together And when they combine credit accounts or debt-based accounts, it's associated with a lower likelihood of staying together. And this is, I think, important because when we look at this particular demographic, this is a group that has been accumulating a lot of debt or debt-based products, if you will, including student debt as well as credit card debt.
2: You've got to be on the same page philosophically if you're going to be taking on large amounts of debt or you're you're, you're heading toward a perilous place. Yes, that's that's a generalization. Yeah,
3: yeah, that's that's what I would say. Or you should be having discussions about how and why you are combining this debt, and how you're going to work through it together to
2: pay it off. This cohabitation, I'm thinking about it in my head as these are renters, these renter, renter, renter. But what about cohabitators who are? buying homes together, but not yet married. Do we? What's the trend line there, if you can speak to that?
3: Yeah, I'm not sure I we know a trend, but I will say that in the data that I have explored, I was actually surprised at the number of young adults who are sharing mortgages and are um, co-owners on homes. I think what this is reflecting, and this is, I would say, a little bit more speculative than what we know about, sure. or not, from the data, is that cohabitation is not always necessarily a pathway to marriage, but is a relationship status within itself, right? And so um, maybe these are couples that are planning to eventually marry, but maybe not. Maybe they are comfortable just sharing and not marrying. Just
2: a couple of moments remaining here for us. Uh, Do you have an expectation or a forecast, would you dare offer some sort of smart speculation about how this cohabitation trend line is going to sway or not sway in the decade or decades in front of us?
3: I would say I think uh, cohabitation is pretty normalized within our society right now, I think given the rates at which young adults enter. I think it is a common practice among young adults. Um, we also know that it's the modal pathway into uh, relationships for many, and we, sh- we should expect it to either stay at the same rate or maybe even increase uh, depending on you know what's going on within our economy. If it becomes a little bit more precarious yeah. <laughs> uh, with respect to the labor market and prices and inflation, then we should not be so surprised to see um, people moving into uh, these types of relationships. Fenaba
2: Otto is an associate professor of public policy at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, and she has been your guest here on Do South. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is Due South on WUNC. We'll be back in a moment.
4: Inge. This is Due South. Valentine's Day is here. It's in the air. You can smell it in the chocolate and the roses, maybe the scent of a calming candle you got for yourself. But even for those in loving relationships and marriages, there are, of course, the struggles of love and life. Growing up from girl to woman, learning to let go of relatives and parents, and of your own children growing up and leaving the nest. Yes, we know that. These are all moments and feelings our guest thinks about often. Her name is Julia Ridley-Smith, and she's an author and creative writing professor at UNC Chapel Hill. Just this month, she published her first fiction collection, Sex Romp Gone Wrong, don't Let the Provocative Title Fool You. These stories are extremely personal and moving. Julia Ritley smith um, we're glad to have you here today on Do
5: South. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here.
4: Well, this book, the title alone, <laughs> <laughs> made me want to know more. So like I mentioned, you know, the title— of your short story collection. It does get right to the point, Sex Romp Gone Wrong, but tell us why this title and how these stories fit together.
5: So this title is actually the title of one of the stories in the book. And in that story, it's the title of a tabloid headline. So (laughs) but it gets at the themes of the book in that all of these are stories about women and girls at different stages of life, dealing with relationships and friendship and loss and yes, love and sex and desire and how we can want things so badly and yet make a terrible mess as we're trying to get those things. I laughed a lot. (laughs) Good, you're supposed to. As
4: I was going through the book, you know, like you, I'm a woman, I'm a mother, my mother has passed, but I'd like to think um, we were close enough, you know, we had a lot of miles between us during some very important years, you know, like in those 20s, 30s, 40s. But how do these themes and your experiences, like, shape this collection?
5: Sure. Well, like you, my mother also has gone on, um, and we were very close. So there are a few stories in this collection that feature people in um, nursing homes, and my experiences with her and with my dad when they were ill and dying kind of shaped those stories. But there are lots of other ways in which my life experience has shaped these stories, even though they're they are definitely fiction. Um, there are it's, elements. It, they sound too real. It sounds so real. <laughs> there are definitely elements or things that right. I pull from my real life. Like I grew up in Greensboro. My parents had an antique shop, so that um, one of the stories features an, an antique shop. So there are things that people who know me would recognize as coming from my real life, but they're also these characters that are sort of formed in part by my imagination, but in also in part by the feelings and experiences that I've gone through as a woman um, growing up, you know, in the South and being taught particular sets of manners that don't necessarily align with the things we want to do in life. I think that's probably one of the biggest um, things that I like to explore in my stories is that you know, that gap between what we're taught we're supposed to act like as women and what we might want to act like. Mm, I I noticed that right away that
4: I could tell a Southern voice was writing Mm -hmm. this about Southern women, and I actually appreciated that. And we're a little different, I think. (laughs)
5: Yes, (laughs) probably different in background and experiences, right? But there are things, I think, that overlap.
4: Um. Like sex. Like sex. You know, like now, you know, in these stories, the theme of sex and romance is obviously there, but so are some other kinds of love. And I do want you to make sure we touch on all of them. So what are the other kinds of love that you do touch on in these stories?
5: Yeah. So in addition to romance, um, and, you know, I don't think romance doesn't hold for long in these stories. You might get into a romance, but it pretty quickly breaks down, right, in some kind of way. But there are also stories in here about friendship, about friendship between women and girls, and also about what it's like to be a mother and what that love feels like. Um, you know, I'm a mother. I have a grown son now, so I'm kind of a recent empty nester. And I think in the last few years in particular, I've just sort of been looking back over this, you know, the first 20 years of being a mother. and All the different feelings that I went through and, you know, just how crazy that love is that you have for your kids. I know.
4: I have to ask you, because I have two boys, Mm -hmm. and I wonder, did you find yourself, especially around, like, Valentine's Day, did you buy him gifts and candy and just kind of everything maybe you wanted somebody to give you while you were growing up? Sure. But I found myself doing that with my sons. I did. Yeah. I mean,
5: I still—we still have— Some corny, you know, top of a chocolate box on our refrigerator that's like two puppies, you know, in a heart that I gave him one year. Um, Yeah, my grandma used to send me a valentine when I was little, and I love that.
4: I know, but for boys, I found myself wanting, you know, Southern boys who I felt would be kind. I wanted Mm -hmm. them to be kind Southern gentlemen, so I needed to
5: show them an example Of how, of what to do, because I wanted them to be able to do that. Absolutely. When I found out, you know, when I first got pregnant, I thought, I'm going to have a girl. I'm going to, I don't know. I had this feeling, and I was wrong, you know. And so when I had a boy, and then particularly when I realized he was going to be my only child, you know, I just really wanted to raise him to be a kind man. Um, And so that was always one of the things that was most important to me.
4: Me too. So the title story of your collection is about a woman who plots to conceive a child while at a convention hotel with her husband and her teenage daughter. So please tell us about her predicament.
5: Okay. So the woman in this story is named Liza, and she is sort of reaching um, maybe the later years of her fertility. And her daughter is um, 13 and sort of at the beginning of her journey as far as you know um, she's coming into puberty and adolescence and she's really wanting to meet some boys but the mom in the story is um, you know at this point struggling with her infertility and she has made a date with her husband to kind of meet her during his lunch hour during his i.t convention that they're there for um, and she really wants to have another child, even though she feels like this may not be the best stage of life for her to do that.
4: Yeah, thinking about it. So now I want you to read a section of that story, which is the title of the book, Sex, Romp, Gone, Wrong. And you can pick it up with the mother, Liza, and her daughter, Grace.
5: Yes. Okay. Now that Grace was 13, strangers no longer asked Liza if she was going to have another baby. Each time they'd said it, as the years went by and no second child appeared, like a blow. Liza's friends with children Grace's age said she was crazy to one another. They assumed she'd forgotten the limbo hours at the pediatricians, the pharmacy, the supermarket, the strad right, everything taking longer than it ought and maybe never getting done at all. But she hadn't forgotten. When Grace was a baby and Liza was newly married, older women would tell her how the baby stage would go so fast, and then her sweet baby would grow into a money-stealing slut who would (laughs) show Bill and Liza how much she hated them by smoking drugs and wrecking cars. She would smile and nod, petting Grace, never confessing how bored she was, that she hadn't imagined how whole hours could exist inside each minute of crying, of painful nursing, of slobbery demands for attention. In a way, of course, the old women had been right. Bill finished his graduate degree and got a good job. Grace started school, Liza returned to teaching. Time righted itself, then accelerated. Life did seem to go by faster now, and it wasn't as full of surprises as it had once been. Some of the old hurts, once so sharp, no longer bothered Liza, and new troubles brought a pain at once deeper And easier to accept. After all, it was her job as a history teacher to show students that you could look down the whole long sweep of time and see the cycles of calamity and boom, how things change and repeat. Naturally, her students thought she was Methuselah. Every time they mentioned something she hadn't heard of some TV star, band, video game, website, some juvenile crap they dismissed her. Old. How could she know? Yeah, she wanted to say, I'm old, but I know things, you little suckers. Sometimes she said it, without the suckers, to Grace, who was going into ninth grade in the fall, one more year to go until the grade Liza taught, way past the age when she would write her mother love notes and cry, I'm lonely, as she banged on Liza's locked bathroom door. Now Liza was the one who passed Grace's closed door and wanted to pound on it until she was taken in. She wanted to go back to the beginning, to that snug bundle in her arms, the new hand touching her face as though it held the key to the universe. I'll stop there.
4: I don't have a daughter, but I I think I can definitely relate. Julia Ridley Smith reading an excerpt um, of her story, Sex Romp Gone Wrong. This story is a part of a collection of stories that's just been published um, by the same name. So maybe the more obvious theme in that story you just shared with us is a woman trying to conceive a second child but the effort is not going that well. What's the feeling um that you're trying to get us to understand?
5: I you know, I mean part of that comes out of I guess my experience. I had one son. I always thought I would have two kids and that I never got a second one, you know, and there was a period of mourning where I was sad that that didn't happen. Um, now, now I've kind of come around. I'm fine with it. My, my one and only is great. But there, I think there is that feeling, you know, for a lot of women, no matter how many children you've had, that when you start to realize that they're growing up and, um, you know, and you're not going to have a young child anymore, it's not only about missing them, but about, you know, your own youth starting to go. And, and you aren't, maybe aren't sure what's going to be your next phase in your life as a woman. Um, and so I think part of, you know, potentially part of that wanting to have another child is just kind of wanting to stay in that stage of of life um, because you, you're not sure what's going to come next. So how old is your son? My son is 20. 20. How long have you been wanting to write this book? <laughs> well, I actually have really been writing this book all, throughout the entire time, I mean, over really 20 years. Some of the really? stories in here go back that far. Some of them are much more recent. Um, you know, a number of them have been published in in journals before, but this is the first time they're together as a collection. And I was writing a lot of other things over those 20 years. But when I, um, when I started to pull this collection together, I just realized that I had a dozen that really hung together around this these themes that we're talking about today.
4: Well, I've heard that you have your own apartment in Chapel Hill now, a place all to yourself, even while, you know, you live in Greensboro with your family most of the time. Mm -hmm. That's right. So what is like, you know, what is it like having your own space after those years of sharing?
5: I have to say, (laughs) I, I turned 51 last year. I got married when I was 23 years old. So I have never in my entire life lived by myself. Um, And I have been telling people it is the middle-aged woman's ultimate fantasy to have your own space where, you know, you go out, you come back. Nobody has left a bunch of stuff everywhere. Uh, Everything is Just your stuff. It's just just your stuff. stuff. If there's a mess, it's your mess. It's your mess. You know, I can, like, eat cheese crackers for dinner and watch my show on the couch. And, you know, not that I can't do that at home, but there doesn't have to be a discussion about it. Um, And I just think, you know, I love my husband. I love my family. I love my dogs back home. But it's been so transformative to have that little space that's just for me, not only as a woman, but also as a writer. You know, I think often about Virginia Woolf's Room of One's Own. Mm -hmm. Um, And to finally have that is just kind of magical.
4: While we bask in that magic, you have another passage to read for us. This one is from your story, Delta Foxtrot. Any background we should know first?
5: Um, so this is a story about a woman who um, her father, who she sort of has a difficult relationship with, is in a nursing home near death. Um, her mother had died some years ago, and also this woman, as a kind of a distraction from, you know, the very sad things in her life, has embarked on an ill-advised love affair mm. with a, a young fella that she met at her, her movie um, club that she's been going to, where they watch a lot of old movies. And the passage I'm going to read is actually about her parents meeting, and um, And a bit about kind of, you know, some of the roles that she saw her mother having to fall into because of the generation that she was from. So I think that's probably all you need to know to set up this passage. So when I say how they met, I'm talking about her parents. Okay. Sailing was how they'd met through Friends of Friends at a beach club near Wrightsville in 1964. She just graduated from the women's college. He was 42, divorced partner at a respected Raleigh law firm. When they were introduced, he frowned and said, well, you're an attractive little thing, as though attractiveness was an obstacle he was going to have to work around. They were married the next summer. She had double majored in classics and art history, planning to become a curator, but my father was old-fashioned and didn't want his wife to work. She filled her time volunteering until, after two miscarriages, I came along. I was too late. They were already irreconcilably unhappy, often arguing and worried about money. Sailing remained the one thing they could stand to do together, momentarily forgetting their quarrels as they jibbed intact. They sent me to sailing camp where I failed to progress. As much as I loved the wind on my face on a sunny day, I couldn't be bothered with navigation and ropes and all the figuring out that the work of sailing required. Even so, nautical terms were our family lingua franca, and it was a regular thing for the three of us to speak as code the names of the semaphore flags sailors use to signal other vessels, one flag for each letter of the alphabet. Many an evening, my father would come home from the office, glowering, and head straight for the wet bar. If my mother asked him what was the matter, he'd throw up his hand and say, Delta, meaning, keep clear of me, I am maneuvering with difficulty. I used to try the flags with my husband, but he'd just raise his eyebrow and say, Really? A flag? That's all I get? Even my jokes about fornication, complete with hand gestures, couldn't win him over to the flag system. It was just as well. Married 12 years, and together for 16, we've developed our own private language. For instance, if he mentions the Civic Hatchback he drove when I first knew him, I'll say, My, she was yar. And he knows I mean that those were happy days. It's Catherine Hepburn's line in the Philadelphia story about the sailboat Cary Grant designed for their honeymoon. They're divorced. But as soon as she says, my, she was yar," with that wistful expression on her face, you know they're going to get back together. I'll stop there.
4: Well, how much of this story is really true to your own life?
5: How much? Well, not the affair. Not the affair. (laughs) Okay, good to Um, know. Yes um but the the father in the nursing home my father wasn't mm-hmm. in a nursing home before he died um and he and my mother were much closer in age they're not the the parents here aren't based on them except in the sense that my father was a bit of a difficult character um he could be hard to get along with and hard to get through to and that that's that's no secret i wrote about that in my first book um but, but most of this is fictional, but it does kind of draw on that feeling, I think, when you are steeped in the caregiving of taking, you know, taking care of somebody who's ill for a long period of time. There's maybe this other part of you that would really like to be doing something a lot more fun and maybe a little lascivious um, if you can work up the energy. And so I kind of let her have that. But it... it It's not a good decision for her in the end. Julia Ritley smith
4: thanks for reading Delta Foxtrot. And, of course, um, the title of the book, Sex Romp Gone Wrong. And you're a professor at UNC Chapel Hill, and you're doing it all with your own apartment. Trying
5: to. In Chapel Hill. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Leonita. It was a pleasure talking with you.
4: This is Due South. I'm Leonita Inge. Stay with us.
6: Happy Valentine's Day, Every
4: day before I You're listening to Do South on WUNC and it's time for another Southern mixtape just in time for Valentine's Mm -hmm. Day. I'm Leonita Inge. And I'm Jeff DeBerry. Uh, We're here with mother and son musical duo Nina Freelon and Pierce Freelon. Their latest album is Ancest Stars, and it's all about love, family love, more specifically. So we thought, you know, they'd be a great pair to ask about their favorite Southern songs Mm -hmm. about love. Nina Pierce, welcome back to Do South. Thank, thank, you. You. thank you,
6: thank you.
4: Well, I love that we're doing a love theme southern mixtape. You know, I'm not mean all the time. I think of love songs I mean all. all the time. <laughs> I don't try to be because I feel like we came up during a time when making a mixtape, uh-huh. and I've made a few for someone, was a big part. Of the wooing process. Yes. Mm-hmm. I won't I may I wanna be
2: wooed. What do you mean you won't tell us? You know, no, I'm just no, saying no, don't say a, I a, won't tell you. A gentleman
4: you. told me from college, he just told me like two years ago, just thanking me for a mixtape I gave him back in the 80s. Wow, well, that's a good. I was at the 90s. I think I gave it to him and then I'm like, "Wow, it took you that long <laughs> and three wives to finally <laughs> tell me what that mixtape meant to you." you. <laughs> I put my heart in. Oh my, I said, "We're loose. We're off on run running. Here we go." I said, "Wayne, keep it." No. Wayne. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so, but can you give us a morsel? What was one of what the was tracks? One of them? Yeah, yeah,
4: that was on that mixtape. You tape. know what? I I know one song that was on there. I think, I don't know how Southern it is, but I'm an Etta James lover. Oh, and I know nice. that she. but I think um, I, I put on that, rather go blind. Mm-hmm. Oh. I would rather, I
6: would rather go blind, boy. Than to see you walk away from me, child.
4: See, I was a child and I was. Associating my life with uh, Etta James.
2: Uh, I'll drop two quick ones in here. And I, really, we, we want to hear from you. If, not if, when I was making those mixtapes for somebody that I was, uh, I just, it, it was trying to woo. Trying to. Uh, 112 Cupid. Ooh, that kind Cupid. Of- Cupid. Cupid. Like a water droplet snare in that song. <laughs> there is, <laughs> and I'm going deep in the archives for this one. Do you remember Brian McKnight? yeah, yes. all right, all right. It'll be yes. McKnight. Yes, yeah. Aren't
4: they well, from Alabama somewhere? Yes, Alabama. I, I'm not sure.
2: Balabama. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what about y'all? What was like that go to either if you were trying to woo somebody or if they dropped a particular song for you, you're like, oh. Now we're in business. Mm-hmm. Well, uh,
1: for me or you ask you're not asking about Brian, you're asking mm-hmm. about me. Because you. Uh-huh. you said Brian McKnight, you didn't name a song. I was thinking anytime. Okay. Do I, I so. ever cross yeah. your mind? Um, Do I
4: ever cross your mind?
1: I'm
2: gonna get made fun of for that. No, but, no, that's
1: a beautiful song, it was in that- man. I miss <laughs> you. it is already cracking on Yeah, Yeah, uh, for me, uh, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna keep it North Carolina. Can we keep okay, it? Okay, please. This is do South, right? Yep, okay. Yep. How about uh, Roberta Flack and mm. um, Killing Me Softly? my bank with
6: his fingers, Singing my
1: Oh my goodness! You hit it on the nose. This
4: is
2: yeah. why we have experts in. Yeah, yeah. this is why we have yeah. people who know. And,
1: and now, like you, Jeff, I grew up in the '90s, yeah. and I was introduced to that song by the Fugees.
0: Yes, of course. It yes. was Lauryn
1: Hill. You know, Proz yep. and um, uh, Wyclef.
6: Killing this
1: But then when I heard the original, I was just like, wow, you know, and she's from Black Mountain, North Carolina, right down there by Asheville. I know. And uh to to know that, you know, the roots of the song, because the 90s, a lot of that was sampling, you know, right. or covers. Right. That was a cover, it wasn't quite a sample, but uh yeah, researching the roots. You know what? Um it was Art of Cool. When Art of Cool came to Durham, they did a celebration of of North Carolina artists. It was Thelonious Monk, Roberta Flack, Nina Simone all at the Carolina Theater, and, and I felt so much pride that, like, mm. wow, that anthem I grew up on in the 90s, you know, had roots in Black Mountain, North Carolina. Yeah.
4: Mm. I think about another mountain girl, Dolly Parton, mm. oh. <laughs> from Tennessee. And, I'm not mad. And I, I Will Always Love You, just an anthem. Before, mm. of course, you know— um, Whitney Houston remade it, but mm-hmm. it was a dolly song and um, I think a of that song. one she is great, great songwriter. And I
6: will love you. I will
0: love you. What about you? What
6: well, you mentioned North Carolina. I'll start with that. So if we were going to say North Carolina, I'd say Thelonious Monk and Round Midnight, mm. which is you know, a, a sort of a, you know, a love song that you're sort of reaching for that love and you're you're missing that love. Speak about Phil Freelon. he also sent me mixtapes. Mm. So wow. Pebo Bryson. Them. Yes. Feel the fire. Feel the fire. Feel the fire.
2: Feel the fire. That's I mean, a good
4: one.
6: And I think with Pebos from South Carolina. I think we'll forgive him for, you You, you know. still have yeah. those
2: mixtapes? I don't. You don't?
6: Even if I had them, what would I play them on?
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know? Oh, you don't have, like, one of those old Walkmans, you know, like, with little handle? Like oh, yeah. the, Everything have, have we
6: had, had has um, probably some tape all jammed up inside yeah, of it, you yeah. <laughs> know, that I'd have yeah. to extricate. And let's see, Jeffrey Os- Osborne, mm. um, concentrate on you. I mean, I love, I love... The male voice, Sam Cooke. Darling, you send me. I know you send me. Darling, you.
4: Oh my goodness.
6: You know, just all of these people who sang deep in in their, uh, deep in their vocal register, with just my aunt would call it singing underneath your clothes. Mm. You know, we we do think
4: of some more women.
6: We're a little we do. male heavy here. Can we here. say Let's see. Aretha?
4: I think so because, uh, like somebody whispered in my ear, like our music director, you know, she made some of her best music, recorded it at Muscle Shoals. So mm-hmm. we're going we're gonna to claim.
6: this us claim. Her. If we're
4: going to claim her music, yes. <laughs>
1: Another, speaking of North Carolinians, I mentioned her earlier, um, Nina Simone has uh, one of my favorite love songs, which is, I put a spell on you, I put a spell on you, cause you're mine. It's like a creepy love song. Yes. You, you, you're mine.
6: You're mine. you're mine oh perfect we're not even going to give you a choice here.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well i'm here with nina freeland i a seven-time grammy nominee jazz musician and host of the podcast great grief that we enjoy so much and pierce freeland you know musician storyteller author of the children's books you know daddy daughter day I, I, we really like that one thank you
2: I'm generally interested in setting when it comes to music. Like, mm-hmm. there are certain times, there are certain things I want, right? Like, as a, a one-off example, like, once the kids are down, cleaning up the kitchen or tidying up loose ends uh, for for work, for me, like, it's Davis, it's Coltrane. Like, that's often what's on in yeah, the yeah. kitchen. Mm-hmm. But back to this conversation with love, when do, you, when do you find yourself reaching for love tracks, ballads, songs? Like, is it a particular time of the year? I mean, yeah, we're coming up on Valentine's Day, okay. But, like... Are there times in your week, like is it a, a Sunday morning thing or mm.
6: you know, I'm I i do not gravitate to love songs as a particular genre, but I love a good ballad.
2: Yeah. Mm. I just
6: love a good ballad that makes you think. Mm-hmm. Um so that could be any time at any on any day, on any given day. Mm. Um Because music is, you know, you know, it's interesting about love songs. If you fell in love on a particular song Mm. and then you fell out of love Mm. with that person that you associated with. All of a sudden the song is tainted with the kind of, oh, dear.
1: You're you're making (laughs) me think of one. You're making me think of one. I remember seventh grade, DSA. That's where your son went to school, right? (laughs) So for all my bulldogs out there, Durham School of the Arts. When I was in seventh grade, it was Casey and JoJo. Who All my life. who came from Charlotte, North <laughs> I Carolina. <laughs> Come on, man. That was my jam.
6: And uh that song a long time.
1: Yeah. And I had a little sweetheart associated with that song, and to this day, when I hear that song I think of her. Yeah. You know? In
6: a good way. Uh yeah, it was good. In a, in a it was good, good enough way. It was good, good enough.
1: Way. You know, seventh grade love is sweet, you know, puppy dog eyes and you know, dances where the teachers are trying to keep enough room for the Holy Spirit between you and your and your dance partner.
2: Got to ask with you two sitting here. Uh, it has been said a little boy's first love is his mother, a mother's last love is often her son. What what is the love song, love ballad, love tune that connects you to her that maybe you have a, a memory associated with? Wow,
6: what you know, an astute question. That is
2: a great question. I I think
1: um, our album. Stars. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a song called Sing Me Down mm. that is so powerful. It features Alvin Chia of Take Six uh, and my buddy Jared Johnson. And it's a lullaby. Uh, it's a song that was on my mom's album Maiden Voyage. We, we, we redid the song for this album. And um, in the context of the album Ancesth Stars, it's really about you know, it's about, for me death and, and the love of of laying someone to rest. Um, beautiful, beautiful song.
6: Swing me down. Sing
1: such an honor to to sing that with you mo oh, thank i you, love Annie. you
6: i love you Annie. okay so this is a problem your question let me just say <laughs> it's a little bit of a problem because i have not won not but two, two but three, three
2: children. Oh, my, that's true. I and so, the two sons. To say, <laughs> there's only, only one here in this room. There's only one here in this room, but they
6: may hear they this interview and it true. could be a problem. That's so, true. I will say a mother's love extends in equal measure to all three of her children in the same amounts. <laughs> How did I clear <laughs> that was good. it up?
2: Did, did I did clear it, it
6: up?
4: Smart. And you that was it. fair. That was safe. That no. was diplomatic.
2: I only have two children. Leonita only has two boys, so three is it's even more of a juggling act. Yeah, clearly, in this conversation.
4: You know, I've been thinking of another Tennessee girl. I am a big fan of Valerie June. Mm. Oh, yeah. And yes. that twining and whining that she does. I mean, but I I love it. And from the first, I don't know if it's her first commercial album, but Somebody to Love.
6: I somebody. there's something special when someone has an ache in their voice you feel it but maybe you can't you know articulate it it just brings you to your knees in a, in a song especially when it's coupled with a lyric that has longing in it oh my god somebody somebody
1: Ever since uh, we were, you mentioned the 90s, yeah. my mind is just full of, like, 90s. I mean, what an era for hip-hop and R&B, yeah. with, you know. But then also back to that dance floor uh, at DSA in 7th, 8th grade. You know, the one song that brought everybody out. And I don't know if you could call it a love song proper, but there was definitely some some love energy mm-hmm. on the floor. That was Juvenile's Back that yeah. Thing <laughs> Up. <laughs> You need to give him a spanking. That's minute. what I'm saying. I mean, that was a, uh, you know,
6: I take no responsibility for that <laughs> comment.
1: Listen, he's cash southern. Money, he's from New Orleans. the cash money for the, nine 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 in the 2000. 2000
6: There's love and then there's lust. Uh-huh.
1: Thank, thank you. They are different. They're different yes, things. Yes. Thank you. An important distinction, <laughs> I think
2: here. Can I kick that question to you about sons? Is there, you've got two boys, Leonita, who are now grown and out of the house and you don't see them as much as you would like, but are there, are there love threads or tunes or? Uh... Let's just say I made a
4: mistake telling that oldest boy of mine what my favorite song was, My one of my favorite rap songs. And since I didn't know how to work my own phone, he decided to surprise me and make it like a, a ringtone ring or something like that. Oh, what was it? Khalise, my milkshake brings all the boys <laughs> to the yard. Uh.
5: And I
1: was like, we're
5: done. Oh, Drop
4: the
1: mic. My, that's a love song to me. Ooh, segment <laughs> but over. But I was
4: like, I can't believe it. That's a
1: good one. I love that for you.
4: Do you? That thank is a, you.
1: That is a gift that only a son can provide. <laughs>
4: I know. He's like, "Oh, Mommy likes that song." And put it on my phone. That is like, hilarious. Thank well, thank you very much. It's been a treat to talk about mm-hmm. love and love songs with Nina Freelon and her son Pierce Freelon and um, just good luck good luck with thank all you. the projects going on now and just keep the music coming. Thank you thank you.